Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. Colossians 4 this morning, page 955 there in your pew Bible. Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2. We've been uh, in the book of Colossians for the last several weeks. This is <clears throat> the last sermon in this series. I think this is the 17th sermon uh, preaching through the book of Colossians that, that we've had in this series. Next Sunday, uh, with revival in view, uh, September the 15th through the, the 19th, uh, I'm going to begin a series of sermons, uh, block them out and charge them out this week uh, in my study preparation. So. We'll be preaching in preparation for revival, what revival means and what we hope to accomplish as a congregation. So I hope now that you'll begin praying now about our revival, uh, that you begin praying about who you might invite to revival. Uh, we're going to have at least two, possibly four cottage prayer meetings the two weeks leading up to uh, revival and uh, really hoping that the Holy Spirit turns loose on us, that we have a profound experience uh, during our, our revival, it'll be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, with Don Mathis uh, bringing the, the services uh, those days. And there'll be a children's sermon uh, in every service. Uh, he calls it his, his uh, what did he call it, Myra? Do you remember what he called his children's sermon time? I don't remember what it was. It was, it was some kind of little catchy name off of, he used his name as a pun. But, uh, but he'll meet with the kids uh, each night and... And begin praying now that God would open your eyes and open your hearts to give you an opportunity to invite someone to church. Steph and I were talking about revival uh, during the course of the week. And we were talking about the way some of the revivals were conducted in days of old. And uh, the church that I grew up in as a child, we, had, we would have tent revivals every year. And we would put down sawdust and, and put out chairs and we'd have a, a tent revival. Uh, Stephanie talked about some of the events in, in her revival and, and uh, they would have pack a pew night. And uh, so we will probably try to do something like that because we really do want our revival to have an impact on us. We won't put out sawdust in the sanctuary, but uh, we will do, we do things like Patrick Meyer saying, thank God. Um, but uh, we will do, do things. And on Wednesday evening, we're going to have a fellowship meal, soup and sandwiches. Meyer and I talked about that this week and open church-wide. So we'll have a, a good time of fellowship prior to uh, the worship service with Don on Friday night. But you'll hear more about that uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Today, we, we close out. Uh, our, st- our preaching in our series through the book of Colossians. And Paul closes out the, the, the book talking about our ability to have to speak, to what, how Christians should conduct their lives in the manner of speaking and how we speak. And, he, and as believers, there, there's a unique power within our words that the lost world just doesn't have. That as you speak, as you utter words, that there are certain strengths and powers in the words that you utter as we utter them under the grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, he spent a lot of time in Colossians talking about what it means to live and walk and breathe the Christian life. And he kind of saves the best for last by talking about the powers that we possess as Christian people. And since there is power in our speech, it, Paul wants us to understand that we should never underestimate the power of the words that flow off of your tongue and off of your lips. I mean, individually. Uh, Paul is talking to the individual believer. Certainly there's a power in 
uh, our corporate praises and our corporate worship together. But Paul closes out this book talking to the individual believer and the power that an individual believer, you this morning, possess in your speech. For example, a police officer approaches a driver on the side of the road and begins to speak a few words to that driver, and either that driver uh, sighs a breath of relief or that driver sighs a breath of regret. A judge says a few words, and a person's life is either saved or condemned. A physician speaks a few words to their patient, and that patient either rejoices or gives up hope. There's power, great power, in words. There's even more power in the words that you speak as a believer. There's power for good, and there's power for evil. But there is power in the words that you speak. And that power that you have as a believer in speaking words is a gift from God given directly to you. And because it's a gift from God to us as His children, how we use our words should be, in our speech, should be used in ways and in methods that God's will would ordain. We can't let our mouths just run off. In James chapter 3, James speaks about the tongue, and he compares the, our tongues to a bridle or a rudder. He compares them to a fire or a poisonous snake, and then he compares our tongue to a fruitful tree and a fountain. And James, and, and James 3 gives us three pictures to teach us that the power of the tongue is very profound. It's got the power to direct. It's got the power to destroy. Our tongue has the power to delight. And it's a small part of our body, but it can accomplish great things for God's glory and for good, or it can be used even as children of God to accomplish things that are evil. In today's passage, Paul points out four ministries that you as a child of God possess through the gift of speech. So join me in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, as we pick out these four ministries that we possess. Paul writes, in his closing comments to believers, the last thing he says to us is, children of God, devote yourselves to prayer. You can be devoted to a lot of things. But he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And while you're praying, be watchful and be thankful. And he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. And their message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the message that he's asked the door to be open, is that he might preach the gospel clearly and in a compelling way to both Jews and Gentiles. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says in verse 5, Children of God, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation or let your speech be always full of grace. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Why? 
so that you may know how to answer everyone, both the saved and the unsaved. He says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstance and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. These two, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will tell you everything that's happening here in Rome, where I am in chains, where I am in prison, because of Christ. First thing I think that Paul would want us to know is that believers have power in speaking prayers. We've got some powerful prayers in this room. Jacqueline's a powerful prayer. My mother, Ken Bailey, is a powerful prayer. We've got some powerful people of prayer in this room with us today. And there, are, there is a unique and, 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 and overwhelming power in the ability that you have to speak a prayer. We pray for lost people. We pray for saved people. We pray for circumstances. We pray for situations. We pray for healings. My mother was telling me this morning that she was woken up during the night to pray a prayer. And then she prayed the prayer. She felt directed to pray and fell back to sleep. You may have had that happen to you. Where maybe the Lord has roused you in a, in a sleep to pray a prayer and you've prayed that prayer. Or perhaps you've been minding your own business, doing your own thing, and you, you suddenly felt a, a compelling push from the Holy Spirit to pray about a particular matter. And you stopped in that moment and prayed whatever it was that you felt led to pray. There is power in your ability to speak prayers. So we need to be speaking prayers over our children, over our families, over our nation, over our world, over this church, over this congregation, over our fellowship, over our unity, over everything that, about, that is about our life for us to be speaking prayers because there is power in your ability to voice a prayer. If you're not voicing prayers, you're not utilizing the power that's available to you. And that's a power that believers possess. Pray for your children every single day. Before Austin was born, I was praying for Austin's wife that she would be raised in a Christian home. Now, Elizabeth, you know, was adopted. If Elizabeth had not been adopted, she would not have been, prayed, been raised in a Christian home. But because my daughter-in-law was adopted, she was adopted by a Christian mother and father. He's a deacon in his church. And my daughter-in-law was raised in a Christian home because I was praying for her before Austin was even born. Same for Kilder. I was praying for my daughter's husband before he's born. Now that I got Eliana, my granddaughter, I'm praying for Eliana's husband today. And now that Elizabeth is going to bring little Levi into the world in January, I'm already praying for Levi's salvation, for his protection. And I'm praying for Levi's wife that someday, and she's probably not even born yet. He's not born yet. There's power in your prayers, folks. There's power in prayer. Prayer for us and worship. What Jacqueline has led us in today, where we voice our worship to God through song, are some of the highest uses of speech that we have. To call out in prayer 
and to sing out and pray out in worship. Now, Paul was not ashamed to ask his friends, his friends to pray for him, and neither should we, to ask people to pray for us. Just yesterday, I asked two friends in confidence to pray a prayer with me. And I preface it by saying, I need you to keep this secret. It's two men that I trust in our church. And told them my concern, that they could be in prayer for the concern that I have. And we learn from Paul's example that it's right to go to Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord and ask them to be in prayer for us. Paul wasn't ashamed, neither should we. And even though Paul was an apostle and a mighty apostle for Jesus Christ, he needed prayer support to help him in his ministry. Now, if a great Christian and apostle like Paul needed prayer support and prayer cover, how much more do we, regular old people, need that kind of spiritual help? We should be going to one another, asking for prayers. Wednesday evening, I had someone, uh, after our worship time together and our Bible teaching time together, I had someone in the sanctuary approach me right here and said, I have a prayer need. And I said, well, we'll just stop right here and we'll pray for that need just right here. And that is power in prayer. And, and listen to how Paul described the characteristics of a Christian's prayer life. And he gives us four characteristics of your prayer. And the first is, a believer's praying has to be faithful praying. That's a characteristic of our prayer, of our prayer life. Paul says to continue in prayer, to be faithful in prayer. That means to be steadfast and consistent in our prayer life. It means to be devoted to prayer without ever quitting. And this is the way that the early church prayed. I'm afraid too many of us only pray occasionally. And far too many of us only pray when there's a problem or a need. I mean, we, we take time to pray when we feel like it. But we don't pray consistently and regularly. For me, my prayer time's in the morning. After Stephanie's gone off to school to teach, I have my quiet time, my prayer time. Nobody home but me. There's no television on. There's no sound. Now, that may not work for you and your schedule and in your routine. But generally, for about an hour every morning, I'm in Bible study and prayer. Sometimes it'll go two hours or three, but generally about an hour. We need to, and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you my routine. Some of your routines are, are, are better than mine, but that's my routine. That's what I do. I try to start my day like that. And that's what it means to continue to have a, a set routine, to take time to pray. Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Now, that sounds impossible to do, to pray without ceasing. How can you pray all the time? When Paul says, told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, he wasn't talking about walking around whispering prayers all day. That's not what this means in Thessalonians. When he told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, he meant to, to walk so closely with God that prayer is so natural for you that it would resemble our breathing. That it just so it is natural, it, it would be as natural for us to pray as it is natural for us to breathe. So he says that believers praying must be faithful. The second thing we learn from, from this passage is that uh, to have power in our prayers, one of the characteristics is, is that a believer's praying has to be watchful, to be alert, to be looking around, to be awake as we pray, to observe the culture around us, the needs around us. There are needs in this room that you don't see because you're not looking for them. 
There are people carrying burdens in this room today that you completely miss because your spiritual eyes aren't open and aren't watching. There are people in this room today who are hurting. There are people in this room today who are lonely. There are people in this room today who are rejoicing because God has brought a great victory into their life. And we miss it because our spiritual antennas are completely collapsed. Paul says that's not how it should be. That Christian people and Christian faithful prayers should be watchful, to be alert. And the phrase watch and pray is something that we see throughout Scripture. That we should be watching and praying. The image we understand is what Gideon's army did. The people that came up as, they was, as God was decreasing the size of, of Gideon's army in the book of Judges. It kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That it got to the last test. And the last test, well, or the next to last test, was how they drank the water. And the, the people in the army that bent over to drink the water and lap it like a dog... Gideon was told they can't be in the army. But the people that drank from the river that kept their eyes up and brought the water to their mouth and remained alert to the circumstances around them, those were the ones that were worthy to serve in Gideon's army. And Paul is teaching us that we are to be like Gideon's warriors, that we are to be going on with daily life, getting drinks of water, but as we're getting drinks of water, we're in an attitude and spirit of prayer with our eyes up, being alert to the circumstances and the needs and the world and the culture and the climate, the atmosphere, how Satan is attacking, to be alert to all of that all around us. And what he's telling us is there's no power in dull, restless praying. There just is none. If there's no fire on the altar, the incense will not rise to God. And we know that prayer is that sweet savor that pleases the Lord, that it rises to heaven. Because if there's no fire in our heart, then our prayers are going to be weak. Real praying requires a spiritual energy and an alertness that can only come from the Holy Spirit. We can't manufacture it. We just have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through our life. And that comes from being in a constant attitude of prayer for 1 Thessalonians, which comes from our surrendered daily walk every day with the Lord. Third, Paul teaches us that for the believer to have power in their praying, that we should be thankful in our praying. Watch in the same way that we will be thankful to be alert. Now, thanksgiving is an important ingredient in effective praying. If all we do is ask and we never thank God for His gifts, folks, we're selfish and self-centered. Bottom line. If we never say thank you. Well, what kind of things can we be thankful for? Honestly, the list is absolutely endless. It's, you, you could not list everything that you can be thankful for. Most of it we take for granted. We are such a blessed people. Such a blessed people. I'm reading a book called uh, The Spiritual Secret. And it, it's a story about Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was the, the one who founded the China Inland Mission. And I was, it's sort of an autobiography uh, written by his uh, son-in-law. And I was reading a passage yesterday morning where Hudson Taylor was down to his last crown. Now, I don't know in English, in England how much a crown was worth, but apparently quite a bit of money. 
and he had a crown in his pocket, and it was Saturday evening. He was working for a physician and as, a, as a chemist and mixing chemicals like a, a pharmacist would do. And the doctor had not paid him for two weeks. And he was running out of money. It was the end of the month, and his rent was due on Saturday. And he was praying, oh God, what can I do? So it was Friday evening, and on his way home, he came across a man that looked very frail. And he said, sir, is there anything I can do for you? He said, my wife just had a child, and she's dying, starving to death, and my children are starving to death, and the baby's starving to death, and we have no food, no heat, no fire for heat. Hudson Taylor said, well, I'll come home and pray with you. But he had that crown in his pocket. He walked into the house, and there was the mother lying on a wooden pallet, no mattress, just a wooden pallet, with her child. The children's faces were sunken in from starvation. The man said to Hudson Taylor, if there's anything you can do, please do it. The Holy Spirit said, you got that crown in your pocket? <laughs> and he said, well, and in his mind, he's praying, oh God, if I just had the change for the crown, it was like two sixpences and two something else that he could have. He said, well, I would give him a sixpence and I would keep the rest. God said, don't you trust me? Give him the crown. Hudson Taylor, his heart burning, he knelt over and began to pray for the wife. And the moment he began to pray, the Holy Spirit said to him, you hypocrite. You don't believe your prayers and you don't trust me. You got a crown in your pocket. So he prayed a prayer, pretty dead prayer. But he prayed it anyway. Arose from the woman and said, sir, God bless you. And the man said to him, if there's anything that you can do, please do it. Hudson Taylor reached in his pocket and pulled out that crown and put it in the man's hand. He said the moment that he put the crown in the man's hand, he said he had a joy and a peace and a lightness to him that he almost floated out of their room. But he went home with no money. Saturday morning he got up, went to work for the doctor. And he had a conviction to go to China. And he said, God, if you want me to go to China, I need you to show me your great power. And so he had a conviction that he would not ask his employer to pay him, even though he was two weeks late. He had no money for food, no money for heat. He worked all day Saturday. It was 9.30 at night. And the doctor said, oh, I haven't paid you yet. He said, you know... I wish I had thought of that earlier because I made my bank deposit today and I have no money to give you, but I'll give it to you Monday. The doctor uh, went into his office and Hudson Taylor said he stayed, stayed as late as he could so that his landlady would go ahead and go to bed because he couldn't pay the rent. So he stayed as late as he could. As he was left and walked back to his place where he was staying and, and, and he called it the poor side of town. He began to reach for his door handle and he heard the doctor's footsteps behind him as he was reaching for the knob on the door. And the doctor said, Hudson, hang on. He said, I can't explain it. He said, but one of the wealthiest men in town owed me a debt. And he came tonight at 10 o'clock and paid me my debt. He said, the debt that he paid me, it turns out exactly what I owe you plus a little more. 
And so what God did was, because Hudson Taylor was faithful in giving that crown, Hudson Taylor says, God rewarded me 400% because of my faithfulness. To be a powerful prayer, we got to be thankful. And Paul gives us the fourth power, and that's we ought to be praying purposefully. There are no accidental prayers for the believer. God knew exactly where Hudson Taylor is. That he had no money for food, no money for heat, no money for rent. And he knows exactly your need today. He knows it. He even knows the needs of the people that you're praying for. Paul said in verse 3, to pray also for us. I wonder how often my own prayers are vague. I'll pray something like, Father, bless our nation. That's a vague prayer. Or I'll say, God, bless our missionaries on foreign fields. That's about as vague a prayer as you can pray. Because it doesn't name anything specific. Like, God, open the door for our missionaries. Protect our missionaries on the field. Keep them healthy on the mission field. Or, dear Lord, I, I pray specifically for our nation that we would have a great revival. Now, you know, and, and there's a difference. How much better it would be if, if we would pray for specific needs in our prayer life? And so when Paul is giving us these four elements for power in our prayer that we be watchful and praying purposely and thankfully, he understands the power in prayer. And by, by being specific in our prayers, we are better to, knowing and able to recognize when God answer those, answers those prayers. So pray with boldness specifically what God would have you do or what you would have God do. And then we can praise him for his answers. So believers have power in speaking prayers. And God, Paul gives us four characteristics of the power that we have. But he also says that we have power in speaking the word. It's not just power in your praying. It's power in your reciting the word of God. Did you happen to notice that Paul didn't ask for the prison doors to be open? When he was entreating the believers at Colossae, he could have asked them to pray that the prison doors be open. That would be a legitimate prayer to pray. But that's not what Paul asked for. He asked that the doors of ministry be opened. Not that the doors of prison be opened, but the doors of ministry. I mean, what if we prayed a prayer like that for South Jefferson Baptist Church? God, that you would open the doors for us to do ministry right here in this location. It's more important to Paul that he be faithful and minister than to be a free person. Paul was in prison because of the mystery of Christ and his salvation of the Gentiles. In the church, Jews and Gentiles are one. And it was Paul's concern for the Gentiles and his ministry to the Gentiles that got him thrown into prison in the first place. And how strange that Paul would want God to help him do and be successful in the very thing that had caused him to be arrested, which was ministering to the Gentile people. Paul had no intention of giving up his ministry, and he had no intention of changing his message, and neither should we ever be willing to give up our ministry, neither should we ever be willing to change our message. Now, we might change the method, but we'll stay true to the message, that it's Christ and Christ alone, and it's available to whosoever will. Our message will not change. The Holy Spirit uses God's Word as we come to the throne of grace and ask God for blessing, and there is a unique power in our ability 
to speak the word. A visitor went to Spurgeon's Tabernacle in London. And he was shown around by, by Spurgeon the, the, the building. And Spurgeon asked the man, he said, Would you like to see where the powerhouse for this ministry really is? As they were walking through the main sanctuary. Spurgeon took that man to a, a lower level auditorium. And as they entered into the room, Spurgeon told the man that the powerhouse of our ministry is this room right here. He said, while I'm preaching upstairs, there's hundreds of people in this room praying for me while I'm preaching and praying for the listeners while I'm preaching. I mean, is it any wonder that God blessed Spurgeon's ministry and the preaching of the Word the way that he did because there's power in praying the Word and power in prayer. You as a church member can assist this pastor. You can come alongside me in the preaching of the Word and by praying for me. I mean, never ask or say to me, well, the least I can do is to pray for you. That's backwards. It's actually the most that you can do is pray for me. I'm grateful that several months ago I asked the deacons, I said, you know, I, I miss being prayed with every Sunday morning before I go into worship. Without fail, there's been a deacon or more come to my office every morning of Sunday worship since the end of November. Deacons, thank you. They have not failed to come and to pray for this old boy. To pray that I be effective, that you would be attentive listeners, that God would anoint our service and bless our church. Pray for me as I prepare and study the Word. Pray for me as I, as I meditate on the Word of God. Because what happens in here is an outgrowth of what happens Monday through Friday when I'm not in here. Same for Jacqueline. What happens on Sunday morning doesn't just happen. She's in prayer and preparation all week long. Same for your Sunday school teachers. What happens in your Sunday school classes and in the Sunday evening Bible fellowship, what happens in that time is not an accident. There's been prior preparation. And the time to be praying for, for me, honestly, for next Sunday is to start today. To pray for Jacqueline is, for next Sunday is to start today. And for this Wednesday, same for your Sunday school teachers and the other ministries that go on to church. And pray that I'll practice what I preach. I'll tell you, sometimes I don't. I understand the Word of God. I'm convicted by my sin when I preach the Word of God. But I'm stubborn just like everybody else. Sometimes I don't practice what I preach. And that's sin. You need to pray for me that I practice what I preach. As I preach, pray the Spirit gives me freedom and utterance. Pray that the Word will reach into hearts and minds in a powerful way as I preach. And pray for your pastor's family, his wife. It's not easy being a PK, preacher's kid. And it's not easy being the wife of a minister. Diana can tell you, it's tough. Because as my grandfather told me when I answered the call in the ministry, he's a pastor. He said, Brother Richard, whatever you do, never sell your house because church is fire. And he said, always understand the sheep bite. <laughs> and sometimes they do. It wouldn't hurt to pray also 
really, through our church directory. Just pray through it. There's a list of names of there and people that need prayer. Some of those folks probably haven't been prayed for in a long time. Pray for them. Paul wants us to know a third thing, that believers have power in speaking to the lost. In verses 5 and 6, Paul uses the word outsiders in verse 5. Outsiders are people who are outside of God's family. Outsiders are people who don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They're lost. They're on their way to a sinner's hell to be bound in hell for all eternity. And those of us who are born again and are on our way to heaven, we're the spiritual insiders. The people that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior are the spiritual outsiders. We belong to the family of God. We're destined for heaven. The others are destined for hell. And they can't escape hell unless they profess Christ as their Savior and Lord. And now as Christians, we have a responsibility to witness to lost people around us. Recent studies tell us that 97% of Southern Baptists will go to their grave without ever having led one person to the Lord. Are you among the 97%? Have you ever cultivated a relationship with someone and knelt down in prayer and led another person to faith in Jesus Christ? That's not good. Our call is to be a light unto the lost world. Jesus said, you don't hide a light under a basket. You shine it out so the whole world can see. Take a chance. Give the Holy Spirit the freedom. But endeavor to lead someone to Jesus Christ, to faith in Him as Lord and Savior. We have the responsibility to do that to bring lost people into God's family. We also have the responsibility to walk wisely. Walk, of course, refers to our conduct in life. And Paul tells us to walk wisely because the unsaved outsiders watch Christians. And they're very critical of us because we don't always practice what we preach. We don't always practice what we represent. There must be nothing in our lives that would jeopardize our testimony and our ability to lead a lost person to Christ. And one last truth that Paul tells us, believers have power in speaking prayers. Believers have power in speaking the word. Believers have power in speaking to the lost. But believers also have power in speaking to share burdens. And this is how Paul ends the letter. Letting us understand that that we have the power to speak in very unique ways that the lost world doesn't have. Now, Paul didn't share the details of his personal situation in this letter. I'm sure it was awful being in Roman prison. But he left it to two of his spiritual brothers to share the burdens that he was experiencing with the church at Colossus. And, and, and this is another wonderful ministry of our ability to speak, the gift that God's given us to speak. We can share our needs and our burdens with other people, with other believers. And then they can encourage us, can pray for us, can assist us. It's not gossip, but help another believer carry the burden to help them. Ticket kissing Onesimus 
had a dual ministry to perform. Paul sent them to the church at Coloss so that they would encourage the Colossian believers, but they were also sent to Coloss to inform the people there about Paul's situation. He didn't want to write it down for the whole world to see because this letter would be circulated in other areas. But he wanted this praying church, this faithful church, this body of believers in Coloss to know what was going on in his life. And was it wrong for God's people to share the information this way? Of course not, because it's an example for us in Scripture. And if it's good for Paul to share by speaking, having his friends speak it on Nesimus and Tychicus, say that together, to share his burdens to the church at Coloss, that lets us know that it's okay for us to do that. In other words, it would be wrong for you to bear your burden alone. Find a faithful brother or sister who you trust to hold a confidence, just like I did yesterday, and tell them. I often tell Stephanie, I hope I don't get dementia when I get older. I said, because I carry so many secrets, y'all would be in trouble. I mean, some of y'all have told me some humdingers. And if I ever lose my mind and I start spilling the beans, oh, goodness. Because if y'all tell me not to share something, I don't even tell Stephanie. I don't. I share it with the Lord, and that's it. If you say this is confidential, it's confidential. Unless I get dementia. And then you're in trouble. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, some of you understand. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, I wish I hadn't told him now. But for us, Paul wasn't begging for money or asking for sympathy. When we share our burdens together, we're not doing that either. Paul simply wanted the Colossian saints to know his situation so they would know specifically how to pray for him. He simply wanted his friends in Colossus to know the facts of his burdens so they could support him in prayer. As Jacqueline and our instrumentalists come, praying and proclaiming the word, witnessing, sharing our burdens, These are four wonderful ministries of Christian speech. And I find it amazing that Paul closes out his letter in this fashion. Because he has been giving us characteristics of the Christian life all along. And then he turns to the the idea of empowerment. And the way that as believers we are empowered to live the Christian life. And he closes out with these understanding. And how much better is it to be involved in these four ministries of praying, proclaiming the word, witnessing, and sharing the burdens than to be using our tongues for gossip, malicious criticism, or some other sinful purpose. I want you to read this with me. Let's make David's prayer our prayer from Psalm 141. Read this with me. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let's stand together as we sing. If you have a prayer need or have a spiritual decision to make, I invite you to come up here and I'll be glad to pray with you.